Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. Due to CDC recommendations, we are live streaming our services until further notice. You can join us online at 11 o'clock a.m. on Sunday mornings on our YouTube channel by searching for A10 Sunday Morning, or you can watch this last week's message at area10church.com. For more information, you can visit area10church.com slash now to learn more about what is happening at Area 10 Church right now. We hope to see you back at the Bird Theater again soon. Good morning, Area 10. Good to be worshiping with you again. Uh, glad, glad to almost see all of you, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that you're checking us out from wherever you are in, in Richmond or around the country and in some cases around the world. So glad, glad you are with us. If you have any questions during the message today, put them in the, the, the text box uh, in, in the Area 10 live stream in YouTube, or you can text them in. The number will be on the screen. You can text in a question. We will do a Q&A uh, at the end of this whole thing. Happy Mother's Day to you. To, um, it's a, a, a great day, and we got beautiful weather today, so hopefully you'll be able to get outside and enjoy some of it. Um, I was thinking about this week this phrase, um, behind every great man is a great woman, right? That phrase has actually been around since like the 1940s. And that phrase um, usually means behind every great man that you see, any successful leader, something like that, there's uh, a woman behind him, like either a wife or a mother who raised him or something like that. My wife likes to say, behind every great man, there's a woman rolling her eyes, which is, uh, is probably a, an, accurate, an accurate statement. Um, what it reminded me of, though, is behind every successful person, men or women, behind every successful person, there's someone else there that's helping them to be successful. We love the story in our country that people pull themselves up by their own bootstraps, but the truth is someone bought them those boots to begin with, and so there's always a story behind the story. I was actually looking online at a couple famous people who were successful that we know but had success, who had uh, people behind them in their story that helped make them successful. Like I looked at a guy named Octave Chanute. You probably haven't heard of Octave Chanute. Uh, as you can guess by his name, he lived a long time ago. He lived in the 1800s. And uh, Mr. Chanute was obsessed with the idea of flying. We weren't flying then. And so he was obsessed with the idea of flying. And he started gathering from around the world all the people who were writing and thinking about flying and air travel and what that would look like. He actually put it all in a book called Progress in Flying Machines. Well, at one point, he was approached by two brothers from Dayton, Ohio, who asked to be mentored by him so that they could learn about flying machines. And, and they ended up taking his design for a flying machine and tested it at Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. You know them as the Wright brothers, but behind them was a mentor named Octave Chanute. Um, Martin Luther King was a leader uh, of the civil rights movement, and you've heard of him, you've heard of his speeches, you've probably read some of his stuff and, and, and seen a lot about him. But behind Martin Luther King Jr. was a guy named Ralph Abernathy who shows up uh, all throughout uh, King's life. He was with him in jail, he was with him at mealtimes, he was with him at, at all times. In fact, in this famous picture of Martin Luther King meeting Malcolm X, the only photo of them meeting together, Ralph Abernathy's right there in the middle of the picture, right behind Dr. King. So it shows you, like, at all of these key moments, uh, there was a guy that was mentoring King, and his, and his name was Ralph Abernathy. Behind every great leader... There is someone who poured into that leader to help make them great. And I think that's true not just of leaders. It's actually just true of like all of us, of, of, of 
human development. Behind all of us, there's someone who uh, helped us to get where, where we are. Um, in, in my life, I can think of mentors that I had in, in elementary school and teachers that poured into me. I can think of, um, uh, I, I think of in college professors, even as an adult, people I look to who are older and wiser who have gone before me, and I go, how do I do this? And they, they give me wisdom. I, I, we, I, I have that in my life. I think all of us have that. We all, have, all of us stand on the shoulders of someone else who came before us. I bet if you look back in your own life, you could think of your faith, which maybe was taught to you by your grandmother. Maybe your grandmother took you to church when you were a kid. Um, You could maybe think of some things like your dad taught you some carpentry skills or maybe taught you how to drive or something like that. Maybe you look back in your own life and you remember a teacher that believed in you and something about that like really moved you and, and enabled you to succeed because you had someone believing in you. Um, all of us have these people who have poured into us over time. So here's my question, and the thing I was thinking about going into this message today, if, if people have poured into us, so if I've, if I've had someone pour into me, different people pour into me for decades, what is my responsibility with that? Am I just supposed to be the one who is poured into but never pours into other people? Um, what, is, what is your responsibility with, with all that you have been given? In the church world, we use this word stewardship. Stewardship is a word that talks about how you take care of things that have been given to you that aren't necessarily yours. So we talk about it with money all the time. Stewardship is taking the money God has given you and investing it wisely for the good of others. But you can have stewardship of other things than money, your time, your energy, all sorts of resources. And, and so in some ways, this is a stewardship question. People have poured into you, maybe as a leader, um, what are you going to do with what you have been given? How will you handle that? Um, here's my conviction. All of us have a responsibility to pass on what has been given to us. All of us know something. You know something in, in a field, in, in, in life, whether it's maybe it's about marriage, maybe it's about parenting, maybe it's about dating, maybe it's, it's in your career field, um, sports, ed- education. Like we all know something. Uh, And we have a responsibility to pass that knowledge on to other people. Um, Now, there's seasons for that. Some seasons of life, you're the mentor, and you're pouring into someone else. And maybe there's seasons of life where you're a little more, not the mentor, but you're more like the protege, and you're you're learning. But we all have a responsibility to invest what God has given us. Um, I think you see this idea of mentor and protege in Scripture, of someone pouring into someone else and, and, and the learning process. You see it in the Old Testament, certainly, uh, with uh, Moses and Joshua and people like that. But one of the best examples of it, I think, of, of that kind of dynamic you see with Jesus in how he invested for three years in the, the disciples that walked with him. Um, Jesus, for three years, teaches and preaches and he heals. And most of what we think about Jesus during that time are the things he did publicly. Jesus feeds the 5,000. Jesus uh, walks on water. Jesus turns water into wine at a wedding. And all that stuff is good. Those are public things. But a lot of what Jesus did was getting away from the crowds and and talking one-on-one or like one-on-12 to this group of 12 men that he really invested his life in into that, into them. Um, he, he was a mentor to 12 protégés. So what qualities of a mentor do we see there in him and, and, and how can we learn from that? I, I think there's a couple qualities as a mentor and a couple qualities as a protégé. I just want to go through these real quick. Number one, mentors listen. 
Mentors, listen. If you go back to one of the first encounters Jesus has with one of his protégés, you see it in John chapter one, Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee and he bumps into his cousin, John the Baptist, with some of his disciples. And I want you to, I'm gonna read this in a second. I want you to see um, how, how, how they speak to Jesus and, and kind of what conversation goes down here briefly. John chapter one, starting with verse 35, it says this. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? So if you go down further, you'll see that that this is Andrew talking and Jesus turns to Andrew and he says, what are you seeking? Which is another way of saying, hey man, like what do you want? What do you really desire? Jesus engages us, engages a, a, a protege in this case, but he engages people at the level of our desires, our, our hearts. And, and I think it's interesting that Jesus doesn't say to this guy, hey, what have you been taught or what do you already know? He says, basically, what are you seeking or what do you want? He, he goes to desire because Jesus knows that information alone does not lead to transformation. Just knowing stuff is not what's going to change your life. He wants to go into the heart. Hey, what do you actually want out of life? And so Jesus goes there. Um, And you know that's true. You know that just knowing stuff doesn't lead to transformation. You know that eating all the brownies is not a healthy thing to do. You know that. You don't have to read up on that. You know what sugar does. You know calories and all that fat and all that kind of stuff. You know that eating the brownies is not good for you. But when you see that plate of brownies and they're good and you're like, me wants it. And it's just like, it's in the heart, right? It's it's on the level of desire. That is where where the, the work needs to happen. And so mentors listen to the heart and desires and the wants of their protégés. You listen to them and you go, hey, what is moving their heart right now? How can I, how can I help them with the thing that they want, the thing that they're desiring? Um, my experience is that a lot of people who willingly step up and say, I will be a mentor, they do it because they want to tell a, a protege something. They, they, they do it because they're like, I, I know stuff and I can't wait to share it. And I've been married for 30 years and I want to tell a young couple how to be married. Or I've, I've done this job for 10 years. I can't wait to tell someone. All of that is, is good. But just remember that um, most transformation is not going to happen because someone told you. Most truth will really be Uh, effective when it is discovered by someone. So maybe as a mentor, your role isn't to just be like, man, I'm going to get in there and tell that person how to do their job. Maybe you you need to get in there and listen to them and listen to their hearts and try to, and and try to navigate that. Um, Good mentors take time to listen, to ask questions. One of my earliest mentors was a guy named Dave Pardue. He was the senior pastor of my home church. And um, he was an incredible listener. You would ask him questions or he would ask you a question and then he would just listen to your answer. And then I would start talking as a teenager. I remember this, I would start talking to him and he wouldn't say anything. And so I would keep talking and talking more. And I ended up saying more than I wish I had because he just listened. And when I went to his funeral back in 2018, a lot of people spoke at the funeral, including me. And we all mentioned that same thing. We were like, this guy listened to you when you talk. And there's something about that that makes people 
feel special. It makes people feel heard. Um, it's a very powerful thing. So mentors need to listen. The second thing mentors can do is, is make time for people. Mentors make time. You see this over and over in the Gospels. Jesus gets worn out by the crowds. He has lots of people pressing in on him at all times. And yet regularly he gets away from the crowd and he just uh, invests in his protégés and his disciples. Um, he'll, he'll teach a parable to the crowd and then he'll pull his disciples aside and say, let me tell you exactly what that means. And he will give them kind of the inside scoop on the thing that he just taught. Um, it's, it's really powerful. He made time to make sure that they understood uh, he, and, and with all the people who needed healings and, and teaching and like the whole crowd that he was always ministering to, it's, it's impressive to know that Jesus really as a mentor makes time, he carves out time for his protégés. That was a mentor of mine in college. I had a professor named Ken Reed, and, and uh, Dr. Reed would invest in me and made time for me. I can't remember a time in four years that I didn't stop by his office and he didn't make time for me for a conversation if I needed something. We'd talk about life or philosophy or music or whatever. And he always made time for me. And uh, that, 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 that had an impact on me. Now, here's the truth. Did Professor Reed actually always make time for me every single time I went there? Did Dave Pardue, uh, my mentor from childhood, did he always, always listen to me every time and ask, always ask me a lot of questions? Probably not. Like my memory of things 20 or 30 years ago is a little fuzzy. But the impression they left on me is that they were the kind of people that listened and made time. And that's how I remember them. And as a mentor and as a leader, that's how you want to be remembered too. You want people who look at you and go, she always made time for me. He always uh, listened when I, when I needed something. He asked a lot of questions. That's, that's the kind of stuff that we once said of us as leaders. Now, what applies to leadership in the workplace or in school or whatever, this also applies in your home. You have uh, little, if, if you have children, you have little humans. And, and sometimes we forget that kids are people too. And they have dreams and hopes and their character is being formed as they grow up in your home. And they are people that need to be listened to. Um, and, and, and you need to get on their level and, 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 and hear where they're coming from and hear what they want to talk about. Now, I know sometimes they're exhausting because they want to be listened to, but they're saying things like, you know, hey, some dogs are brown. And you're like, great, that's really interesting. I know that. But like, so I, I get that it happens with little kids, um, but, but you need to make the time for them to listen to them as, as a mentor of those little protégés in your house. Um, and a lot of people are like, oh, you know, Chris, I don't have, I don't have a quality time with my kids, or quantity time, I have quality time. Maybe, I, I understand that, but you need like the non-distracted time, the put the phone down time, the read the book time, like that kind of time with kids, especially uh, when they're young. And then as they're older, you, you have long conversations and you get into a lot of things about the heart. Um, that's powerful and important stuff. It's kind of a weird thing to say actually right now because during the shelter at home time, some of you are like, bro, I got more time with my kids than I know what to do with. And I get that. And, that, and some of that can be exhausting. Um, I get it. But even when this time is over, uh, you, you need to be mentors to them and make the time uh, for them in your, in your own home. So that's a little bit on the, on the mentor side. 
of things. I want to talk about the other side of things, which is the protégés, those who are being mentored. Um, uh, A lot of people call, uh, they say mentor and mentee. that's weird. I think that sounds weird. I don't, a mentee, that's a weird word. Uh, I'll go with protege. Uh, Proteges, the people learning, uh, here's the thing. You have to want it. You have to want to learn. Um, and I wish I was more dialed into that when I was younger. When I first started in ministry, I was working at a church in Virginia Beach. I was 24. So who am I going to mentor? Guy, I was trying to mentor like some guys who were like 18 or 19. And I realized very quickly that I can want it for them, but that's not really going to work. They have to want it. And so I sort of that whole thing about you can lead a horse to water. I was trying to mentor protégés who just weren't all that interested. And it was frustrating for me and, and probably for them, for them too. And so here's some advice if you feel like you're more in the protégé stage of life. And the truth is we're all going to be in both stages at various times. But if you're in a little more of the protégé stage, uh, number one, this Proteges need to seek out someone who is wiser. Last week, we talked about an essential quality for leaders is that they're humble. Um, Humility says, I'm not awesome. Other people know more than I do, and I need to learn from them. And so proteges need to seek those people out and go, okay, who knows more than me in this field? What can I learn from them? When you walk into a job, you may have a good education. You may have something on your resume. You may have done some things but you're still new at your job. And a, 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 a wise person, a, a good leader is gonna go, I need to just find who's been at it longer than me and just come alongside them and ask them and, and try to learn, learn the ropes from someone who's, who's done it. Um, I, need, I need to adopt that posture of being a protege. And this isn't true just in the workplace. This is sort of true across generations. I'm a, I, they call a Gen X guy, right? So I'm, I'm in Gen X. And um, one of the things I've noticed, and maybe you guys have seen this too, there's a lot of like, I don't know if it's animosity, but there's a lot of like snarkiness between like the boomer generation, a little older than me, and then the millennials who are younger than me, and then probably Gen Z who are at this point are about 25 and under. Uh, there's, some, there's some animosity there. I noticed it during the 2016 presidential election as I watched you know, my, my older sort of boomer friends say one thing and then my millennial friends would be saying something completely different and they're kind of sort of taking shots at each other and, and Gen X people were sort of like, we're like Switzerland in the culture war and we're kind of looking around, everyone taking these shots and it's just like, hey, and, and it, several times I thought, well, you know, you, know, you guys should listen to them or you should listen to them because I think they have some good points. There's some stuff that needs to go across the generations here so we can learn from each other. Um, I, I think there are opportunities to, to mentor uh, those who are younger. You see that in the scripture, the older men teaching younger men, older women teaching younger women, that, that kind of thing. I think there's some really good opportunities there, but it's not going to happen if you don't actually like the generation that's behind you. You have to actually like them. I read a book about millennials written by a millennial. The book was called A Passion Generation. And the guy, it was a really good book, and, and, he, and he made this point. He said, my generation of millennials, he said, we have been coddled. And he points to, you know, all the jokes about participation trophies and all that. He said, we've been coddled, and we've been criticized. We're lazy, don't have a good work ethic, all of that stuff. He goes, millennials have been coddled, and they've been criticized, but they haven't been coached. And I heard that, and I thought, I think he's right. And I don't want to be in the coddling, criticizing side of things. I want to be on the coaching side of things. 
And so I'm, I'm energized by people who are younger than me, who, who have a lot of life in front of them potentially and, and have a lot to offer. And I want to give what I know and what I can to anyone who will listen um, and, and, and try to invest there and, and to coach them. I think there's a great, um, I think there's a really great opportunity there. But the protege is you have to want it. You have to seek out someone who's wiser and you have to be committed to rising up in greatness uh, and, and rising up in your leadership. Uh, your, your mentor cannot want it for you. You have to be committed to it. Which brings me to the last point. Protégés need to stay hungry. One of the great mentor-protégé relationships in the New Testament is the, the Apostle Paul who wrote a lot of the New Testament. He traveled around and planted churches. And he found a younger man to pour into, a guy named Timothy. Let me read to you where they meet. Acts chapter 16, you see this little thing about them. Acts 16, verse 1. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. So Paul comes to this town. It's actually in southern Turkey. It's a we call Galatia, that Galatians, that area. Um, he comes to this area and he meets this guy. And what we know about Timothy is that he's a young man. His mother was a believer. His father was not. Um, and he is well spoken of by the people around him. So there's something good there about this guy. Well, Timothy grows up to be a pastor of the church at Ephesus. Uh, and later in life, as Paul's kind of getting ready to die, he writes some letters, and he wrote a letter to Timothy. It is a letter to Timothy to, to, to give him some advice about how to pastor churches well. And in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, Paul says this about his protege, Timothy. He says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I might be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Man, you couldn't have a better Mother's Day text than that one. Here's Timothy, and Paul says, Timothy, your faith lived in your grandmother and then in your mother and is, and is now in you. And you just can picture young Timothy learning the, the ropes, learning the faith, being mentored by older, wiser women in the faith who, who instructed him and took time to make sure he understood. And, and Paul says to Timothy, fan into flame. In other words, stay hungry with this. Keep at it. Stay into your faith. Keep working what God has poured into you. Keep making something out of it. Makes me think of the slogan, I guess, the slogan Lowe's used to use is never stop improving. And um, I find that slogan to be exhausting um, and expensive, especially in, in home stuff, right? Like never stop improving. Like, I don't know where my laurels are, but sometimes I just want to rest on them and be like, okay, I'm done with the improving and the relentless never stop, right? I feel that way about houses, but about people, about personal growth, about sanctification of the Holy Spirit, about character development, there's, there's a sense that we should never stop improving. We should continue to grow. Uh, we should be growing in our faith and, and learning more until the day we die. They, they've said, scientists have said that uh, 200, 
uh, you are capable of having a new thought every second for 200 million years. That's how much capacity your brain has. So clearly God designed the brain to think new things and to keep moving and to be able to develop until you die. Like you should be able to continue to grow. Um, and, and, and so uh, we need to stay hungry. Now this, this time of COVID is, uh, and the shelter at home stuff is maybe a good time to work on that, to think about um, where am I gonna grow? What's, what's my plan? I know I've been, I've been sort of journaling a lot and thinking through and, and kind of trying to track my habits and, and, and make sure it's for my own, I think, sanity and health, trying to track through and make sure I'm praying, make sure I'm reading this amount and kind of going through different things, doing some things for my health um, because I want to stay hungry. I want to continue to grow. I want to continue to become all of who God made me to be. We had a friend in our small group said that... Um, Everybody's going to come out of the shelter at home. Uh, one of three things: they're going to come out hunk, chunk, or drunk. And uh, I thought, oh, okay, that's hilarious. Uh, I don't know if that's true, but it did remind me that man, you have a choice here. You have a choice of how how you want to use the time that you have, uh, and and you have a choice to maybe learn some new things and keep improving. Stay hungry. Never stop improving your leadership skills. Dallas Willard, one of my favorite authors in his book called The Great Omission, basically says the great omission or the great problem is a lot of people become Christians, but they never go on to become disciples of Jesus. They kind of sign up, they get baptized, they check a box, they say, I'm, gonna, I'm in it for Jesus, and then they just stop their growth there. They never think about, hey, there's development here, there's sanctification, there's, I should be becoming something. They, they never really follow through on that. And I think protégés, and, and really all of us are protégés on some level, we need, to, we need to think through that. We need to be disciples, not just Christians in name only. So think of ways that you can mentor others or ways you can be mentored, especially as we get closer to a time where we can get back together more regularly or, or you can get back together with people. Uh, if, look, look for opportunities. If you're older to teach the younger, if you're younger to reach out to some people and say, hey, will you... Uh, mentor me. Now you're going to have some objections to it. A lot of people object to the idea of mentoring people because we say, man, I'm busy with my own stuff. And, and, and you say, I, I don't have time to mentor people. I don't think I have anything to teach anybody. Um, I don't know enough. I don't know if the people will listen to me. Um, uh, and I understand that. But here's the thing. Andy Stanley, uh, pastor at a church in Atlanta, he has this phrase that they use in their church, and they call it emptying your cup. And basically what they say is that, you, that everyone um, has some knowledge. You know something. I don't know everything you need, but I know a, a thing. I know a few things in life, right? And, and you're, you're, you're there, and you're like, hey, would somebody fill my cup? Will someone teach me? Um, and I probably cannot fill your cup. I cannot teach you all that you need to know. But I know something. And my job is not to fill your cup. My job is to empty my cup and to pour out all that I have. And the results, whether you take it all, whether you grow from it, that's not between you and God. Like, it's not my job to make sure you get particular results. It's my job to pour out my cup, to empty my cup for the sake of others. And I think that's what we're, we're called to do, to empty your cup for the sake of others. That could be at home. That could be at school. That could be at work. Um, 
And if, if you're going to lead people at all, if we're going to rise up, we need to be pouring into uh, the generations. We need to teach children's classes. We need to find teenagers, young adults, uh, even people in their 30s, whatever. Like, you need to be pouring into people who are younger than you and, and helping, them, um, helping them rise up, helping them grow. This is the way that you lead beyond yourself. This is, the, this is the way that your leadership lasts. Andy Stanley says it this way, if your leadership isn't all about you, it will live beyond you. Now listen, if your leadership is all about you, it will not live beyond you, other than the fact that you will serve as someone's bad example. So, so when we pour ourselves out as mentors, we are emptying our cup, and we are learning to live and lead beyond just ourselves. We're leaving something that the next generation can take and run with. So two questions, and then we're done. Who do you know that needs mentoring? Not... Who do I need to go tell something to? Not, not like that. Not like, man, this person really needs some help. I'm going to go, I'm go set them straight. That's not, that's not the listening posture that's going to work. But who do you know that you would say, oh, they're pretty hungry and I want to mentor them? And then the other question with that is, who do you need to ask to mentor you? Who, who, who could you approach and say, hey, hey, you're really good in this area. You know some things. Can you help me? Um, who, do you, who do you know like that? Think about that and where we can start that. Um, maybe you can start that now on a Zoom call because we need more of those in our lives. Uh, or, or maybe when we get back together, you go, man, I want to I start mentoring or, or being a protege. All right, let's pray. Uh, well, hold on. Before we pray, let me just tell you one thing. I, I'm, I'm so used to praying uh, here at the end. I just want to tell you one more thing. Um, we're going to take communion now. The band's going to lead us in a worship song. And uh, as, we, as we do that, you can take communion at home, bread and juice that represents the body and blood of Christ, or any two elements that you have on hand to do that. While the band leads the song, we'll sing. You can take those elements, um, and we remember that Christ's sacrifice, that he, that he goes before us, that he, he dies for our sins. We're going to do that. Um, and then uh, after the, the song, after we take communion, I'll come back with a... Um, We'll do some Q&A, and I've got a couple things to tell you, and we have a special prayer to close out our time here together. So let's, let's pray now. Uh, Lord Jesus, uh, may we be people who have our eyes open, looking for opportunities to empty our cup for the sake of others and looking for ways to, to be filled by, by others who will pour into us. God, help um, us to be very aware of the mentoring opportunities that are around us, be very aware of the ways that we're protégés and that we need to learn more. God, all of this requires a great dose of humility on all sides, so may we be the humble people. Um, and God, in doing this, may we become better leaders so that we can rise up even stronger as a church, um, as a community here in Richmond, and that we can um, lead well in this city. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, I uh, just want to wrap up with a couple questions and a couple announcements uh, of things. Um, let, me, let me just jump into some of the questions that you guys sent. Um, somebody sent in the question, when looking for a mentor, should I expect to agree with everything they believe or just pick and choose? Um, I would say in life, I would not expect to agree with everything anyone believes. Uh, married, children, uh, your parents. Uh, so... So generally, no, I wouldn't expect to agree with everything they believe. Um, but two thoughts on that. One is I think you want to look at 
um, whether it's at work or within the church or, you know, at school or whatever, I, I would look at um, the results somebody gets and goes, okay, um, if, if I walked in their path, would I end up like them? And is that actually something I want to end up like? Not just if I know the things they know, but if I tried to walk in that path. I was thinking of Hebrews chapter 13, uh, it, verse 7. It says this, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider This is great. Listen to this. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. That doesn't say you agree with every single little point, um, but what it does say is look at the fruit of their life, like uh, look at the outcome of the way they are living and then Im- imitate that, walk in that way. So look at people who are living a way that you want to live and then, and then walk down that road because they obviously know something about it. So I would say you don't have to agree with everyone. The second thing I would say on that is ultimately you want to know the scripture and, and, and have that be our guiding source of truth because people are fallible, right? People, people make mistakes. People get it wrong. Um, I, I've, I've said before, you know, I, I had heard another pastor say, uh, I'm 100% sure of 80% of my theology. I'm just not sure which 80% it is. And uh, that's, that, that seems about right to me. It's like, man, we're, we're, we're doing our best here to get it right. Um, and so uh, I, remember that God ultimately is your source there. Secondly, um, how can I find a mentor at Area 10? Uh, we don't have a formal system in place. Um, and it really depends on what you're looking for. If you said, um, you know, if I want someone to teach me to cook or if I wanted someone to teach me something about parenting or if I wanted someone to teach me about money management, like if you came and said, I'm looking for a mentor around these areas. If you, if you wrote on your connection card today or uh, you wrote in a note to us or whatever and said, hey, I, I need some help with these things, we can, as a church staff, we can play some matchmaker and go like, okay, who do we know that does that and try to connect you? Um, but I would also put this back on you, and I have no idea who answered the question. I would put it back on you in, in this sense and say, um, if you're hungry enough, nothing will really stop you from finding a mentor. Uh, and so I, I would say, um, approach this with, I'm going to get someone to mentor me, and I'm going to keep pursuing until I get that. Because the attitude that you take that says, I'm going to get this done, um, is the attitude that's going to really help you learn all that you need to learn, rather than just say, oh, I hope I find the right person who says the exact right thing to me. Go into it with the attitude of, I'm going to get something out of this no matter what, and, and I'm going to be very hungry in my pursuit. So you can reach out to us. We will connect you where we can uh, to, to people that, that we know here in, in, the, in the body of Christ. All right, a couple things to let you know before we're done. One, we're doing an evening of prayer and worship. We will be streaming that on Thursday night, May 28th at 7 p.m. Uh, to wrap up our 40 days of prayer. We've been posting prayer, just a two, three-minute prayers each morning at 8 a.m. on Instagram and, uh, and on Facebook. And so we'll, we'll have that uh, to wrap up our 40 days of prayer. The evening of prayer worship will be that night uh, with some music and some things that we're putting together here uh, as a faith community. Um, also, the prayer walk that we've had a lot of people walk through Carytown and pray and end up on our property and put a prayer in the prayer box and all, all sorts of different stuff. So it's cool to see different people using it. You can still, during this uh, good weather time, you can still start at Bev's Ice Cream 
Um, if you don't know where Bev's Ice Cream is in Carytown, that's something you should probably just learn anyway and know it's important. Um, so you start there and kind of work your way around Carytown to uh, the different areas, stations to pray, and it'll kind of guide you in ways to pray throughout this month of, of May. So you got a few more weeks to do that. Um, lastly, I just wanted to mention it to you um, a lot. In the middle of coronavirus, which is sort of dominates the news and becomes everything all the time, as, we, as I've said before, it's easy to forget that life goes on and things still happen. And um, one of the things that sort of came across all the social media feeds was the, the shooting of Ahmad Arbery uh, down in Georgia, which happened back in February, but kind of everybody uh, found out about it this week. And, um, you know, I, I was talking to Topher in the office and I had just found out about it, and he said, yeah, I watched the video, and I said, should I watch the video? And he said, yeah, you should, just to see what's happening there, and um, I was pretty shocked by it um, to, to see that video, and um, it's really sad, and uh, it sickens me uh, what's hap- what happens in our country when uh, people pit themselves against each other uh, around race and, and other things. Um, I asked another one of our elders, Tim Davidson, to uh, read a scripture for us to kind of guard, uh, guide our, our, our thoughts about justice there and um, also to lead us in a prayer for that whole situation. So uh, we're going to wrap up today. Uh, Tim's going to close us out in prayer as we remember um, the, uh, Ahmad Arbery and, and his family. So uh, Tim can come lead us in prayer. Good morning, everyone. In Psalms 10 at verse 12, it says, Arise, Lord, lift up your hand, O God. Do not forget the helpless. Why does the wicked man revile God? Why does he say to himself, he won't call me to account? But you, O God, do see trouble and grief. You consider it to take it in hand. The victim commits himself to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evil man. Call him to account for his wickedness. Let's pray. Dear God, um, please just surround the friends and the family and the parents of Ahmad with peace and comfort. Um, Burying a son is something unnatural, and it's a pain that no parent should ever have to endure, but it's a pain you didn't even spare yourself from. God, I pray that you would bring Ahmad's family peace, both directly and supernaturally through your power, but also through the people that you bring to surround and comfort them. God, forgive us for being people that so easily hate and divide ourselves based on how we look. I pray that you would give us the strength and the boldness to love and build friendships with people who are different from us that you would help your church to lead the charge in stitching together the racial divides that we see in our neighborhood, in our city, and in our country. But God, beyond racial reconciliation, I pray that you would change who we are at the heart level, that when we look at one another, we don't just see a collection of physical traits, but that we would see people that bear your image, and that because of that, people that deserve love and patience and respect. God, I pray that you would help heal the imperfections in our justice system. I pray that you would grant wisdom and a sense of fairness to those who administer justice on earth. 
that you would tear down those who would promote or ignore inequality, and that instead you would raise up leaders who exemplify your heart. But God, help us not to put our ultimate hope and our ultimate faith in any sort of man-made institution or governmental system, but help us to put our ultimate faith and our ultimate hope in your justice. Thank you for sending Jesus to indemnify us so that we do not have to fear your justice, but that we can rejoice in it instead. Help us to no longer be slaves to fearing or hating or mistrusting people that are different from us, but help us to see one another as children of you. God, we lift up all these prayers in your name. Amen.